Hello and welcome back to the Will and Rob show. Uh, Robert is laughing right now. We're still doing this on Zoom. He is <laughs> laughing hilariously because there was a false start introduction. I tried to uh, say hello and welcome back and just the wrong words came out. It was um, a little rusty after a week off. I think so. I think so. Uh, yeah, I the 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 brain is a funny thing and uh but yeah uh just to keep going with this introduction my name is will stockdale i'm a ministry associate here with ministry to state uh here as always with a very good friend colleague uh father times two robert hassler that is the big news that is what it was i was so excited to announce this uh you and kirsten now have baby number two tell me we that do was, tell me about this yeah, we welcomed uh, Baby H uh, into the world on Thursday. Uh, his name is Bobby, uh, and it's uh, been just an absolute blast having him home. Um, my wife is the champ of delivery. Um, we got there at 945. Uh, baby was born at 315, and we were home the next day. Um, so just very bing, bang, boom, uh, in and out of there. Uh, but everything's been going great. Bobby is healthy. Uh, he is, uh, growing strong. Uh, he is well loved by his big brother, James, um, who is just, just leaning into big brother mode. Um, and it's been just wonderful to see the two of them, uh, interact. It's been just a huge, huge blessing. Yeah, almost so, didn't make it. Almost didn't make it to delivery. It was well, real close there. That's what I was about to say. So uh, y'all had your baby on Thursday. You went home on Friday, but Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the ministry to state team, both the state capital uh, um, ministers and the DC ministers, were all in Pennsylvania. And I wake up, um, and get a message from Chuck Garriott saying. Uh, you know, Robert's left. And I was like, oh, interesting. It wasn't until breakfast why I learned why. I thought maybe it had something to do with that. I had no idea that Kirsten actually gone to labor. I thought I and just then, left. <laughs> well, a couple days later, I get onto Twitter because, you know, I've been I've been kind of uh, uh, fasting from that a little bit and get on. And I had a message from your wife saying, hey, I've been trying to get a hold of Robert. Can you get a hold? <laughs> it was an incredibly calm message. Uh, at least it read that way, considering now looking back what was going on. But it was like at 530 in the morning. You're not the only one. She also Facebook messaged uh, Darren Stone, who's the MTS state capital minister in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, so, and the reason why she was trying to contact all of the MTS staff through various uh, platforms uh, was because her uh, she wanted uh, idiotic trend. her idiotic to- husband uh, had his phone on silent, even though he knew his wife was at full term uh, and could and had the put potential to deliver uh that week um i in my defense bobby came three weeks early so i wasn't really preparing for september baby but i probably should have been prepared anyway uh so yeah i woke up uh about 5 a.m on thursday in my luxurious suite uh in pennsylvania that at the retreat that we were staying at and uh casually checked my phone and saw that i had four missed calls from my wife and i went into total panic mode Uh, threw everything in my suitcase and got on the road as fast as I could. Ended up meeting her at the hospital. Uh, We had some very good friends who were able to drive her to the hospital. 
Um, but it all worked out fine. I got there in time. I uh, was able to be with her throughout labor and, and, you know, go from triage to delivery room and stuff like that. So it all worked out fine, but husbands, if your wife is, is pregnant and could deliver, keep your phone on max volume. <laughs> well, in light of that, in light of, you know, you're already giving out advice to husbands and fathers. Um, you're now a father of two. Uh, you have two uh, children that you're raising up to be men one day, men who follow the Lord. Um, I am thankful to have a, a father who modeled faithfulness to me. Uh, and I know you feel the same way about your father. Um, so what we wanted to do, and this is a little bit uh, impromptu, we didn't really plan out this conversation, but it seemed appropriate given the circumstances going on in Robert's life. And then some things that are happening in culture at large, just to uh, maybe like just a, an, a conversation about um, manhood, but more like uh, kind of questions and maybe just kind of observations that that we're making that we've seen uh, things that are uh, maybe going well, things that are not areas of crisis. Uh, Robert, you sent out to Adam Smith and me, Adam's another uh, colleague of ours at ministry state up here, an article that was investigative investigative journalism by vice into Doug Wilson, who is uh, a pastor up in Moscow, Idaho, uh, some pretty disturbing information uh, about the way that he was pastoring his church and certain things that he was encouraging, allowing to happen. Um, uh, gross abuse, I think, uh, just wickedness. And um, I think disturbing things, of course, this is just one side of the story, I should say, but it uh, it wasn't just like one allegation. It was a series of allegations. It was years and years of uh, women reporting things of uh, him encouraging certain behaviors. I don't want to say it on here, but you can, you can find the article I imagine pretty easily, but you know, Robert uh, as a father of two uh, and you think of your responsibility to raise these boys into men, what are some thoughts that you have? Or um, I don't want to jump right to concerns, but hopes and um, areas that you recognize you will need to be extra strong in and that you see that they will need to have other men around them who are strong as well. Yeah. I like how you say it start with hopes. I guess the reason why I'm hopeful is because I've had such great examples of, of manhood or masculinity in my life. Um, uh, and, you know, that being played out in, a, in properly uh, the way that um, it, it should be done. Um, I think about my father, uh, who was a model of servant leadership uh, in our household, um, uh, in, our, in, in our communities. What did a uh, servant think, leadership look like when you say that? What, what I saw was that my, my father continually, and I should say, yeah, continually put the needs of his children and his wife over and above himself. Um, he sacrificed a ton, uh, so that we could, um, do the things that we wanted to do, like go to a, a Christian school and get a Christian education, um, that we could, uh, participate in the, um, sports and, and things like that, that we wanted to do. Um, and when I, I think a lot of, when a lot of people hear that, 
there's there's one side of that that I think a lot of men, especially in America, feel uh, obligated to do, and that that's to work long hours in order to to financially support their family. And my dad did do that. He he was definitely uh, putting in those extra hours in order to do those things. But my father was also he also sacrificed uh, his time and his energy uh, in order to support us. Uh, emotionally and spiritually. I mean, one of the, one of the, my favorite stories that I like to tell about my dad um, is that uh, there was a, a period after the recession um, where uh, he switched jobs and he was working for uh, a company down in San Antonio, Texas. My family grew up, I, I grew up in Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, and it was my senior year of high school and I was playing varsity basketball. It was my last year of basketball. I knew I wasn't playing after that, those were my last basketball games of my life. Um, and my dad, I, I played, I had weekday games and I had weekend games. Uh, my dad was always home during the weekend. So he, it was no problem making it to those games. Uh, but when he moved to this job in San Antonio, he was actually living in San Antonio, uh, essentially like Tuesday through Thursday or Tuesday through Friday. And then he would come up on Saturday. Um, and I had like three or four Thursday games that year. And what my dad did was he would try to do everything he could to wrap up work early in the afternoon or, or mid afternoon. And then he would essentially get on the road and drive from San Antonio up to Dallas, Fort Worth, um, or wherever I was playing my basketball game. And he would come to the game and then he would talk, I would see him after we would talk a little bit. And then he'd tell me he loved me and he was proud of me. And then he'd get in the car and he'd drive back to San Antonio so he could be at his meetings on Friday morning. Um, and he did that, that in my entire senior year. Um, and so that, that's a man not just sacrificing in order to financially support his family, but that's a man sacrificing and putting um, the spiritual, the emotional needs of his children and his wife above um, himself. And I, I saw that all the time and in everything he did, whether that was serving the church, uh, being a good friend to his, his friends, being a good neighbor. Um, <laughs> there's a, my, one of my other favorite stories is uh, we had a little pond that we backed up to at our house. Um, and I don't know how it happened, but uh, essentially the water level receded so much that there was, you could see that there was a big tire submerged in the pond and it was a big eyesore. And basically every day the neighbors would look at it and talk to each other and complain about it. And then one Saturday morning, my dad woke me up and said, okay, we're going to go take care of this tire. Um, nobody else, nobody asked him to do that. Nobody else stepped up to do it, but there was, there were dad, dad and I knee deep in this pond trying to get this tire out of it. Uh, it was really funny. And, and uh, did you get it? We did it. We got it done. We actually ended up having to recruit another neighbor. One of our good friends, he came over and helped us. I thought we were all going to have heart attacks. It was like 110 degrees in Texas. Um, but uh, that was just the kind of man my dad was. And that, that to me growing up was manhood. That was what masculinity looked like. Yeah. So, so you, there's clearly this model. And um, I think of examples from my dad as well. I mean, work ethic is definitely one of them and uh, a faithfulness in scripture uh, and um, a serious level of reverence. I, I think about the way my dad would both the amount of time he would take to pray before family meals. He would always take like, like a deep breath and just kind of still his mind before praying, um, uh, which was because he didn't want to rush into the throne room, you know, make, get his words together. The other uh, was during communion, also a, a serious sense of uh, reverence and um, um, consideration of what he was doing there. And those have really stuck with me. So you mentioned these things that you hope to 
and still I servant leadership is such a big one for them. Um, what are some, as you look at the maybe parenting landscape and, um, and this, this maybe gets a little bigger into the conversation of there are a lot of stories out there, a lot of high profile examples of men failing in leadership. Uh, I mean, you can look all over the place to um, whether it is instances of cowardice or abuse or uh, um, theft. Uh, I mean, you, you can see it's all over the place, but there are also good stories. Uh, and then there's also like sociocultural phenomena that are taking place that um, make the uh, living of a, an honorable manly life difficult. And I think even the phrase manly uh, may too often depict a bearded man in flannel with an ax in his hand going out into the woods to chop down, you know, warmth for their, the, their, their cabin, you know, and it's like, that's not really what I'm thinking of here, but what are some of those areas that you see in our witness too? Yeah. I mean, there's so much, I mean, you brought up the Doug Wilson piece, you know, I, I think related is some of the stuff that's um, come out about uh, Driscoll's church in, in uh, Seattle and sort of his leadership style and what, especially his message to, to young men. Um, I mean, it, it's complicated. And I, I think you're, you're exactly right to point out that there's a certain level of like um, uh, controversy or uh, scandalous scandal to like talking about manhood and masculinity. Like those are sort of like, poo-poo terms these days um but well, i think it's freighted really they're freighted with um it's 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 a, it's a ningaman toy line again you keep using that word i do not think it means what you think it means there exactly it is so often used as a trope to, that carries in a certain level of like assumptions that i don't think are um helpful or 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 even right or fair Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's exactly right. And, and what ends up happening is, you know, um, the culture does something like uh, uh, tries to demonize uh, masculinity or manhood. Uh, the idea of, you know, male headship or male leadership uh, is, you know, seen as the root of all, you know, social and societal problems. And so um, we need this sort of like radical, not, not, just egalitarianism, but like radical egalitarianism. Everyone needs to be the exact same. Uh, your, your, your gender doesn't matter. Your sex doesn't matter. And it, this is sort of uh, in the culture, uh, the, the most radical cases of this are, you know, you can go on YouTube and you can watch uh, some of these uh, panels and, and conversations in these uh, tech firms and at these uh, conferences uh, in places like Silicon Valley. And uh, uh, you'll hear things like, uh, wouldn't it be awesome if we created a artificial womb and so that we could, we could remove childbearing uh, from women and so that we can make that a, a robotic process and so that that would make men and women more equal. Um, the sort of idea of like, we need to erase all the distinctions between man and female, uh, male and female before we can be equal. Um, I, that there's sort of that. And so what happens is people who rightly see that as, wrong then swing the complete other way right and it's sort of a reactionary uh response uh where it's like okay well we're now going to have a masculinity 
that's a you know sort of you know think about some of the the infamous comments from Driscoll or some of the stuff that coming out in Doug Wilson. Like I think, you know, one of the lines was like, uh, manhood is like having a, a firm hand with your wife, and it's like, well, what does that mean? I mean, that isn't that seems to me to be way over the line the other way. Um, and I think it's important for uh, godly men, uh, God-fearing men, uh, to look to the scriptures to see what does God say about um, manhood? What, is he, what does he say about uh, being a man um, uh, in scripture? And I just continually see um, uh, men love your wives as Christ loved the church. I mean, the, the model that we're given is is self-sacrifice and service, um, leadership for sure. Um, absolutely being, uh, uh, bold and courageous in, in leading, um, and taking responsibility, but it's always coupled with self-denial and self-sacrifice. I mean, that, that seems to me to be the theme of manhood and masculinity, uh, throughout scripture. You know, I, I think it's interesting, uh, to, to loop in scripture here more. You know, this idea, if I'm supposed to love my wife and to care for my children as Christ loved and cared for the church, um, well, what, what do I have to, to understand that more fully in scripture? And, you know, it's in, I, I think it's interesting that the, the, the image that scripture continually leans on uh, for this relationship is that of, of a shepherd and his flock. Uh, Jesus is the good shepherd. And what I, what I like about that and what I think is probably a little bit um, derided in some of these uh, uh, Christian communities or cultures. Shepherds are pretty gentle people. Um, they absolutely, it's very, it's, and this, this can be ignored on the other side too. Shepherds protect their flock from the wolves. I mean, there is absolutely um, a level of boldness and courage that is required of shepherds. Uh, but the image we get of, is not of, you know, a, uh, a gladiator or a, um, some sort of, uh, uh, warrior type. What we get is an image of a shepherd. Um, and I, I wonder if men are being told or, you know, finding comfort in their churches of being told, like, you need to, you need to shepherd, uh, your family. You need to be a, a shepherd of the people that the Lord has put, um, into your care. Um, and the model of shepherding is a lot different, I think, than some of these models that we get from the Driscoll types or the, or what's coming out of sort of these, these Doug Wilson circles. It's not popular. We want, we want to be these sort of conquering heroes, but I just, I don't know. That seems to me that, that seems to me that title is, is, and, and those roles are exclusively given to Christ. What we're given is the model of shepherding. And to that point, and there's a ton, and there's a ton for us to shepherd. There's a ton that scripture says, um, there's a lot of good to be pursued. There's a lot of evil to be pushed back. There's a lot of rights to be praised and wrongs to be condemned. I mean, um, justice that needs to be pursued and injustice to be stamped out. There's there, all of that can fall under the category of shepherding and shepherding faithfully. It doesn't just mean being like a meek and mild person sitting in the corner. It means looking out where there's light and seeking to pull the curtains back more so that light can shine through and then protecting people from darkness as well um, by letting that light shine through more. And, um, and you know, I, with that, I think um, 
I, I, I've talked to a fair number of men who are very interested in discipleship, who are very interested in being discipled. Uh, and I think what isn't stated explicitly, but I think is there is like a desire to live life well and a desire to live life well as a man, to live life well as a man created in the image of God, like a woman is created in the image of God, a man created in the image of God in order to steward, to use the resources that have been given them to make sure they're walking faithfully and fully in God's presence. And uh, there's always been a need for discipleship. There's always been a need uh, and a desire for, for men to be discipled by older men, wiser men. Uh, but what do you think people are feeling right now uh, out in the world at large that they sense this need so acutely for discipleship? Well, I, I think it's the, the, the cultural forces that they feel surrounded by and embattled. Um, you know, it's really interesting there's certain developments that um, you can see in our media and our politics um, where, you know, it, it's, it's just hard. I think for Christians to feel as if um, they're prepared uh, to live daily life. Um, and it's, it obviously depends on, on where you are. I mean, I think that's more felt in places like Washington DC and in urban centers and, and East coast places than it is maybe in other areas of the country, but I think it's still, it's still applicable. Um, you know, I think when half of the house of representatives, uh, votes to allow abortion up into any, uh, moment, uh, in a pregnancy, I think a lot of people rightly look at that and say, well, what kind of care am I going to get at the doctor's office? What if I go into my, um, doctor's office and they've, they realize that my, son or daughter is down syndrome or is has some sort of degenerative disease are they going to push me uh into into places into into decisions that i don't want to make um i think people look at uh you know uh, look at recent developments in terms of uh trying to push us for uh, women being included in the draft um and to uh have to be conscripted into military service i mean our public institutions don't seem to be friendly places uh, for uh, traditional ethics and morals. Um, public schools, we all know uh, the uh, what's going on in, in public schools around this country in terms of ideologies that are being presented to children uh, in a certain way where, you know, teachers are trying to create uh, relationships with students in such a way as to cut them off and away from their parents, uh, to remove education from uh, uh the parents' responsibilities. I mean, Terry McAuliffe, who's running for governor in Virginia, they had a debate last night and he explicitly said, uh, parents should not be telling schools and teachers what they should teach. Um, I mean, that's just an obvious example of the ways uh, that all these public institutions that uh, Christians in America should have feel every um, right and privilege of, of using and uh, having uh, access to. They just don't feel as if those are, are those are welcome places for them anymore. And what I think is what is also obvious is that uh, they're they're then turning to the what the what they do have, which is their faith, and they realize that maybe in some of these churches that they've grown up in, um, they weren't actually discipled. They weren't actually fed uh, the gospel and prepared for persecution and prepared for uh, sufferings and trials. Um, and so I do think that in, in light of all of that, there is a realization that 
I really need to be prepared. I really need to be discipled um, so that I can withstand a lot of uh, these things that are happening around me. I mean, that's my personal opinion. I, I'm happy for people to disagree with me, but I mean, if you're placed in a situation where you're a new parent or you're a new husband or wife, and you know, you're being told this is how you be a husband or a wife or a parent in 2021 America, and that just sits wrong with you, you're going to say, well, what else do I have? Well, I have scripture, but you realize you, I actually don't know scripture. I actually haven't read the Bible. Um, I have never really prayed. I don't know what it means to rely on God and his sovereignty uh, through all this stuff. I mean, that's where you, that's where you turn and you say, I need discipling relationships. I, I, need, I need somebody to come in here and help me. Um, and I think that's really where it's coming from. What do you think? Well, as you're, you're, as you're talking, I'm thinking immediately of the passage to be ready at all times to give a reason for the hope that you have. And this idea of hope is not just some kind of a glossy outlook on the future, but it is the fact that um, Jesus is King, that he has defeated sin and death, that he has justified us by his blood and that we are his um, and that we are called to be salt and light until we were, that, that idea of hope is such a pregnant term in Christianity. It is so it is full of so much. It is full of an awaiting for the new heavens and new earth um, and all that God has planned for his people until then, which includes confidence in raising children as into Christian men and women. And I know that as an, I, I'm, I'm a single man with no kids. So I, I can only imagine how difficult parenting is that it is one of the highest callings in, in this world that um, there's so much trust and prayer that has to be put in there because especially as reformed, we understand we do not control the outcome of our children's salvation, that the Holy spirit is the one who brings that about. And so there's a need to trust and rely. And there's heartache that comes when children's don't children do not come to know Jesus. Uh, So I definitely understand that uh, that is the case, but as parents are in this world to, to parent, to steward, to cultivate, to teach the doctrines of our holy religion to these children. Um, as you mentioned, when they, they come up and are confronted with things that are directly contrary to that, when you say that, you know, Steve and Sally are really just the same. It's just your, um, uh, it's just kind of the biases that you're placing in them at a young age. Christian parents, um, that's a lot to face. And that's a lot for single people need to be supportive also and be able to give clear answers for why that is not the case. Uh, there was an, it was an Atlantic article that I saw recently where someone wrote in and said, Hey, my friends are encouraging me to use genderless pronouns with their new baby. What should I do? Hmm. And what was interesting was the the person who responded from the Atlantic was like, well, you know, it's not something I would do, but they're not hurting anyone. And so just go ahead and go with it. And uh, what we're seeing is like the only ethic that exists in America right now is like the no harm principle. It's simply right, this no harm pr- like, which is, which is um, really bankrupt uh, and, and incapable of um it's reductionist also in that it just assumes that the only thing that matters is like a person keeps breathing, that there's nothing actually to life to build up and support that maybe could be damaged beyond sending someone to the hospital or to the morgue. Uh, but that's all that, that she could offer them. And um, 
what we believe as Christians is that an affront to dignity. And, you know, we can be clear that like confusing men for women or, or not allowing women to be women or men to be men are both attacks on their dignity. Uh, But I I do think that um, hopefully, you know, I I think that's a thing that we, we face as well as manhood. And, and, um, and and I, and I think because there is so much negative, sadly and justifiably a lot of it uh criticism around men uh i think men are desperate to look for good examples at large and in the public um men that can be held up as examples of like yeah yeah i want to be like that uh you know the the john waynes as much as he has been lambasted of late but uh to be like yeah no that that man lived lived like a man. I mean, and, and there's parts of it in that different men exhibit in different places. Like um, president Obama uh, seems like a very faithful family man. I mean, he really loves his wife and kids a lot. Okay. Like that's something that I've seen modeled and the public, I can, you know, I have personal examples, but like that's something in public that can be acknowledged as good and follow. Um, We hear examples of courage and heroism, but no, I I think you're right. I mean, when we look for models of manhood, I mean, the problem with celebrity is that eventually people will disappoint you. Um, and so, you know, that's where uh, churchmen being a good churchman um, is really important because um, those finding models and, and um, uh, uh, role uh, examples and role models in your local church um, are going to be so much more beneficial and helpful. I mean, I grew up in, I was really blessed to grow up in a church where the elders and the deacons were very involved uh, in the church and involved with uh, the youth education. I mean, I had elders and deacons teach a lot of my Sunday school classes. Um, And I had elders and deacons who uh, would speak to me after church service, ask me how I was doing, ask me about, you know, was I honoring my mother and father that week? You know, things like that. I mean, that stuff sticks with you. Uh, when you are a, a eight, nine, 10 year old uh, in the church and, you know, the elder who prays the congregational prayer and has a very deep voice and is very, you know, has uh, kids who, uh, uh, you know, have grown up and you, you sort of, mo- you've sort of seen them as role models in the church um, comes up to you and shakes your hand uh, after service and asks you how schools do it. I mean, that, that has a huge impression um, and so that that's a discipleship and a mentorship uh, relationship that is really important and, and I think um, needed. And that doesn't, you know, that doesn't require, you know, going off on you know, sort of like masculinity retreats where, you know, you chop down trees and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, but it, 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 it's just those little things that, that men can do um, in their local congregations to be models uh, of masculinity and manhood biblical masculinity and manhood, um, serving uh, their families and serving the church that I think has a huge impression on men and will, will mean a lot uh, for them as they grow up and become husbands and fathers of their own. Yeah. Uh, well, I think um, we're, we're coming up on our typical time limit here. So we'll land this. And I think maybe just one of the conclusions is there's a lot more to be talked about in this conversation. There's a lot more that needs to be said, but they're also in a good way is like a lot of work to be done to men out there who are listening. Like if you're wondering um, what you can be doing uh, a faithful presence at church 
uh, a faithful, loving presence at church that is both strong and humble and courageous uh, is of great benefit to others around you. Um, it is it is noticeable and it uh, can feed and nourish other people. So I think just that as as a point of departure for us is what we can do. But I think there's a lot that needs to be asked about like what exactly is masculinity? Um, what exactly is femininity? Uh, um, we should have a woman on come and talk about that and their thoughts. And then uh, how do they complement each other and work together? And then um, what are some reasons uh, that maybe have come to create this place where there is such a, a crisis of both masculinity and femininity, I would say, uh, uh, Carl Truman has done a great job of addressing this and the rise and triumph of the modern self. Um, mm. So we'll get him on, of course. Uh, <laughs> but, well, hey, well, uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, my name is Will Stockdale. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Stockdale Will, and you can follow Robert at Artie Hassler. Much better follow. Highly, highly recommend that. Thanks, but hey, man. we hope Appreciate that you guys that. have a great week, and we look forward to being back with you in a week's time. 